It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and I'm delighted to tell you he's sitting in the hot seat ready to go. It's taken a while but it's been worth the wait and when I tell you that his biography has just been published Bruise Never Broken well you know who I'm, t- I'm talking about don't you? It's Mr Phil Coulter. Phil, welcome to the show. Nice to see you again Jerry. Uh, great to have you with us. Uh, I was just looking back you were hit me 2013, 2015 and it is long overdue a catch up with you. Can I say this to you? I've read the book congratulations thank it is a wonderful wonderful read thank you Jim. i'm just wondering you know we're today people in their 20s and 30s bring out biographies yeah. i think you know what i mean you've hit the nail on the head that's why i resisted for such a long time jerry because i mean i thought it was i, th- I think it's kind of ridiculous that that kids uh, like 25 and 26 years of age write their life story my god almighty i mean i was only i was only kind of hitting my stride when i was like 25 and so i resisted all the kind of uh, offers from publishers to do a book before now um until finally I mean, I was kicking the can down the road for all of those years. And I think it was Eamon Dunphy who finally said to me, Philo, you better get started in this thing while you can still remember stuff. <laughs> you know, and I said, that's, that's about the size of it. You know, that's, that's what finally made me sit down and put pen to paper. And he launched the book for you, didn't he? He yes. did, he did. Well, yes. we go back a long way. I, I, uh, I first met Eamon when he was still playing soccer for Millwall all those hundreds of years ago. Um, and I've, I've we've we've become pals over the course of the year. But um, before I undertook the job, you know, I, I, Dunphy would be a very successful writer apart from his other t- talents. You know, with the book on on uh, on Roy Keane, on U two, mm. on Matt Busby, etc. So he knows the game far more than I would. I mean, I'm a rookie at all of this, so I had to talk to somebody who had experience of it. Um, and he did warn me. He said, "Phil, you know, it's a big undertaking. You know, don't take us on lightly because it demands a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of just cold face." hard work. He said, when I'm doing my books, I'm up at five, I, I take uh, like a number of months and I get up at five o'clock every morning to write like for four hours. That's what it takes, mm. you know. And there's a lot of work going into it and you can read it, it oozes off the pages. Now, I've picked bits and pieces. I'm sure you're worn out at this stage. I know you've talked no, to everybody in sundry. But I, I've taken a, a, a sort of a different angle on this. I've been through the book and I've picked out qu- quite a few sporting moments mm. besides, because look at your music, of course, is number one, your family, but mm. sport has intertwined Mm. your life an awful lot through the years. I'm sure you started talking about it there yourself a moment ago. Listen to, to this, folks. This man re- 
remembers. 1949, seven years of age, and the Irish Cup final, Derry oh. City against Glentorn. Yeah, I do. I do. One of my earliest recollections, going across the bridge in Derry uh, with uh, my, my, my dad and my two brothers for the big, big safari, Jerry, to Belfast. You know, that was exotic beyond words. I mean, Belfast was the big smoke. You know, I mean, I was only a toddler. Um, but uh, nobody had cars, of course, in Derry. So my recollection is very vivid, walking across the Craigavon Bridge in Derry, and it was like 20 deep, everybody heading for the railway station on the waterside, everybody walking there, and everybody in great form and, and singing songs about Derry City. Jimmy Delaney, I think, was the captain. It was just a great adventure. The train, the special train to Belfast, um, getting lunch <laughs> in, a, in a cafeteria, serving yourself, you know, or, or with the trays and stuff. God, it was, I mean, the excitement was unbelievable. Not m- before we even got as far as the game. Yes. You know, and, and then coming back to Derry, and uh, I, that, that, that definitely looms very, very large in my, in my childhood memories. And you won the cup that day. Yes, indeed. Which was the, uh, the great thing also. Uh, you, your dad played the fiddle, and, and, and there was music, of course, mm. in yours. Was it an open music house? Do you recall it as that, or was it much confined to the family? It was kind of to the neighbourhood, you know, I mean, when there was an excuse for what we call in Derry a big night, you know, that would happen in Mar House. Why? Because we had a piano, um, a beat up, challenge, uh, upright piano, as I <laughs> recollect, but it was the centre of, 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 uh, of activity for kind of parties and stuff like that. And the thing about, the thing about that, those days, Jerry, everybody, it was a kind of point of pride. You, have to, you had to be able to sing a song or do a recitation, as they called it, or, or tell a story, whatever. Everybody... You know, it was a point of pride. If you were called upon, you had to stand up and do your bit. So, I mean, I remember very well those days, the sound of the piano. Before I was old enough to actually be allowed in there, to hear the sound of the piano and listening outside in the hall. Uh, my, my my dad playing the, the fiddle. Um, he played the fiddle by ear, um, jigs and reels and stuff like that, while my while my mother vamped along on the piano. Usually playing all the wrong chords and in the wrong key, <laughs> but it didn't really matter, you know. <laughs> Uh, because that's a, it's a great lesson to learn. And the lesson was this. Music is not something just to be studied in school. Not just something that to be kept for like singing in the choir on Sundays or for the annual music festival. Music is something as a living, breathing thing to be enjoyed, you know. Part of the fabric of life. And I grew up with that and it's something for which I'm eternally grateful. I've often said that my first smart move was being born in Derry. You know, because music was part of the fibre of life and continues to be. I'm glad to say, but yeah. So growing up in a musical household was was at those and those formative years certainly helped put me and steer me in that direction. Do you know, in my days, I was a petrol pump attendant, and um, I have something in common with you. You were too. And is it true you were rolling in the cash? Uh, my first job, a petrol pump attendant, two pounds a week, two pounds sterling a week. I got, which I handed over to my mother, by the way. I got to keep the tips. Um, and you'll know what I mean you spotted the good tippers and there was a rush then to get out and serve I'm, I'm serving him because you've got a sixpence here a thruppence there and that's how I was able to hold the cash and I was I was high on the hog it meant that I could go to the movies um, on my day off um, and buy an ice cream and stuff like that and have have change rattling about in my pocket well, I, I've never been as well off Jerry that's the truth <laughs> Now, you won the State Exhibition Prize when you were at college there. Explain to me what that was. Well, there was a big rivalry between St. Columns, which, you know, historically now it's become regarded as like a 
a colleagues that produces what the Americans call achievers. You know, two Nobel Prize winners in John Hume and Seamus Heaney, playwrights like Brian Friel, and my own era, Eamon McCann, the activist, Paul Brady. You know, it was it was a kind of place that produced um, uh, achievers. And there was a big emphasis on a work ethic, you know. I mean, we were we were taught, because it was a minor seminary, right, so the priest would teach you that if God has given you brains, you know, and intelligence, you have a duty to use those brains. But alongside of that, equally importantly in that era, the Labour government had introduced an education act which opened up third-level education to scholarship. So the kind of extra motivation in terms of like doing your God-given duty to work with your brains was that if you did you had a chance of winning a scholarship which would get you to university. Now, so that was that was the target. Then the ultimate target was, uh, in the north of Ireland, I think the top 50 places in the north of Ireland based on the, the results of the of the A-levels, um, or the the senior sitters, we called it then, the, 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 the top bunch of kids got a, a state exhibition, which, which meant you got a bursary of £80 per year during your time at university. So... St. Columns is very competitive and they wanted to, to pit themselves against the likes of Methody and Inst and Portora Royal and all those long-established Protestant schools um, because St. Columns had that kind of work ethic. Yeah. Thing. So um, the problem was in my first year at St. Columns, my, uh, my eldest brother Joe won uh, a state exhibition. So that was that was kind of put up to me for my for all of my times and columns. Like that's the target. Your brother got one of those. Are you going to get one of those? So it was it that was that was looming over my head for all of those times and columns. The result was uh, I did get one. Thanks be to Christ. But then when I when I went up to Queens, somehow that kind of academic pressure was off my shoulders, mm. and I was like Jerry. I was like a kid that got let loose in the toy shop. Because now there was all other stuff to be apart from girls, of course. But there was other stuff. There was like music and 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 a jazz club and a this that and the other. So I mean, I embraced that with open arms. I couldn't wait to get to get into the toy shop. And you did go in there. But here's the thing: you didn't actually finish out the music degree, no? No, because well, I got my chance. You see, um, uh, circumstances militated against that because. Um, uh, Coming towards the end of uh, of my uh, my last year at Queens, um, because I got access to um, to the kind of to the, the the power of the music industry in in, in London, I had a hit record. Uh, it was the first song I ever had recorded for a song called "Foolin' Time" by Butch Moore and the Capital Show Band. Yeah. On the back of that, I mean. First of all, when once I got a record in the charts, I, I thought that's it. You know, I'm I'm writing hit songs here. I'm I became unemployable, Jerry. That's the truth. Um, but through that connection, the Capital Showman then brought me to London to do to write some more songs and record some more stuff. And through them, I met their London agent manager, a man called Phil Solomon, very powerful man. He offered me a job, but it wasn't an open ended offer. You know, if you want, the, I have a vacancy. I have a vacancy at the end of June. If you come over, we'd give you a shot. It was no more than that. I mean, for me, it was a good enough promise because how else do you get a start in the music? I'm a rookie from Derry. I mean, no, um, how, you can't go start knocking doors around Denmark Street saying, I've studied music at Queen's. Nobody would be impressed, you know. You just, you have to see it like a gap on the hedge and you go through it like a ferret. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was my gap on the hedge. I had the offer of a job from Solomon's. I thought, no, do I stick at Queen's and finish this out? 
or do I jump at this because it might not ever occur again? And the rest is history. And what is history as well, President Mary McAleese completed the circle for you many years later. Yeah, she was very kind. She was very gracious when uh, Queen's gave me an honorary doctorate, which was some kind of a completion. You know, I, I to this day, Jerry, to this day, there is something inside of me that is still rankles that I didn't finish my degree. I'm not a guy who leaves unfinished business, and it still rankles that I never finished or I never got the shot to go back and finish it. Um, and it's, I'm too long in the tooth now to do it. But um, it was at least some kind of a... Mm, f- completing of the circle when I got uh, awarded the doctorate. And it was Mary McAleese, who was then Professor of Law up in, in Queens, who read the citation. And she very graciously made the point that that she felt that the university had let me down uh, in as much as the music department should have spotted that in this fellow here, Coulter, there's something else going on rather other than Bach, Beethoven and Brahms, you know. And that they should have actually encouraged my, my creativity in other areas. Um, I mean, at that time, of course, pop music didn't fit. In, in the, I mean, I was at all times a square peg in a round hole in the music department in Queens. But by God, did you move on from there and look what you've achieved. Look, it's history at this stage with the wonderful success you've had. Back to Derry for a moment, because The Troubles, of course, has mm. been well documented. There's a wonderful series running on it. And just yes. finish up on it. I'm sure you're watching it on oh, the BBC yeah. at the moment. Great revelations. Uh, it's unbelievable. But look, The Troubles brought what it brought. Internment was horrendous. Mm. Uh, you say in the book, it galvanised the people, you know, mm. uh, of Derry mm. and, and, and beyond. Mm. But back to the sport, because it meant the end of Derry City in... Yeah. Irish League football, yeah. Northern Ireland League versus the League of Ireland mm. down here. That was a massive loss. It too. was. It was a very, very sad day for Derry. And f- uh, in simple terms, I mean, I, I was, I was a, a, a Derry City fan for years growing up. My dad used to take me there when he was on duty as a cop. Um, and all of my early heroes were, 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 were Derry City players. Um, Charlie Heffron, the goalkeeper, was my all-time hero. I had a picture of Jerry Heffron up or, or, or on my, my bedroom wall long before I had Fatch Domino or, or, or Buddy Holly. But Charlie Heffron was my man. Jimmy Kelly was a striker. And they were my fantasies. So, you see, the Brandywell was a place where on Saturday afternoons, dairy people could go to celebrate their dairiness, you know. I mean, this this was our team, and we were we were a good team. Ups and downs, but we were a good team, as you mentioned earlier on. We'd won the cup and stuff. So when we were robbed of that, when 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 dairy people were robbed of that, and especially kind of younger guys, um, that Saturday afternoon, now was gone. We'd, we'd been robbed of that, um, and Derry City then were 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 denigrated. I mean, they were kind of denigrated. They then there was a kind of Sunday morning soccer, but it wasn't the same. You know, it wasn't the same. Um, and what happened was that in the vacuum created by the lack of soccer in uh, in the Brandywell, to substitute for that, what happened was a riot in Waterloo Place. That's right. Saturday, you could put the kettle on for a riot on Saturday afternoons, and that was sadly. That was part and parcel of that whole degeneration of what happened to Jerry. But it was certainly a sad, sad loss. 
in more ways than just sporting, you know. And you did your best, I know. you. The Derry United proposal came up and you yeah. were part of that and you tried to get the club back up and running in the Irish League again. Yeah. But of course, it was all set against you, the, the, the Irish FA, etc. But here's the thing, and I can recount this because I was part of it myself. I'll never forget 85 when Derry joined the League of Ireland First oh, Division. Yeah. Wow. Those were momentous days. Absolutely, Phil. because we embraced it because we were back in the fold, you know. I mean, there was a... There was an added spring in our step because Derry were back in the game, you know. And God love them. There was the buses used to leave Derry like and, and go all over there. I mean, and they called them uh, there was Fanta buses because there was no alcohol, right? So there was a designated this is a non-alcohol bus. But for the others, uh, the non-Fanta buses, when they would when they would pull in. Uh, Say in Cork, I mean, they didn't get a bus to Cork. On the way into the city, they would, they would spot a bar and they'd go and they'd say, we're coming back here after the game for a sing-song. Typical Derry. And so there was that kind of social aspect to it as well. Um, and of course, the team thrived, you know, under Jim McLaughlin. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, you were a godsend for other clubs because the payday that clubs got when the Derry fans yeah, arrived in yeah. their thousands yeah. was unbelievable. Uh, but you see that year 85, it, on another sporting front, it was significant for you because I mentioned Barry McGuigan and the big mm. fight with Pedroza and yeah. QPR in London. Mm. Tell them the story of the anthem oh, yeah. conundrum. Well, Barney Eastwood has been a friend of mine for years and years before, before he became famous as, as as Barry's manager and he called me up one day Barney and he said Phil i got a big problem I need your advice Barney I said whatever I can do Barney what's for Barney Eastwood I have a problem needs my advice I thought that's, that's it's not about money that's for sure so the problem was that in a world title fight Barney said we have to do anthems it's, it's in the regulations he said what am I going to do? I mean, I can't, I can't do, okay, Barry is, is from the Republic and I can't do God Save the Queen or I can't, I can't do uh, the Soldier Song, can't do God Save the Queen because either will alienate, you know, um, the, the Northern fans or Southern fans. So I said, what am I going to do? I said, that is a dilemma. Let me think about it. So I called him back the following day. I said, right, Barney, I've got it. Uh, right, the song we should do is Danny Boy. You sure? I said, I'm sure. Because I said, I will do an orchestration of Danny Boy to make it sound like an anthem, you know, with lots of kind of timpani and, and horns and make it sound important. And I said, but here's the trick. When I was when I was living in California for those couple of years, I said, when I would go to big games, the anthem was always led off by a singer, somebody on the pitch, which didn't used to happen here at all. I said, that's the way we want to go because here's the thing, Barney. We want to make this Pedroza fella feel that he hasn't got a friend in the world. And so if everybody in, in Loftus Road is singing, you know, they'll be encouraged to sing if it's been let off. So I remember a conversation Well, Barney said, that's a bloody good idea. He said, uh, what about, uh, could you do it? I said, no, no, Barney. I'm, I'm very flattered that you, that you should think I'd be capable of that. I don't, that's not my kind of singing. I couldn't do that. He said, what about Joseph Locke? I said... Joseph would be would be terrific. He said the problem would be knowing Joseph. It would be more it would be more about Joseph than it would be about the fight, you know. So um, anyway, I said no. I've got it. Barry's dad, because I knew him, Pat. I'd, I'd worked with with uh, with Pat before, and I knew they had the voice. The only question was in Barney's mind: Does he have the bottle to stand up there on a big occasion? I said, send him over to me two or three days beforehand. I'll put him through his paces. I'll have already recorded the track. I'll rehearse him with the track and the track and I'll psychologically keep him keep him ready. Just be sure to get me a seat at ringside 
in in the sightline of where Pat McGuigan is going to be standing as he sings the song. I'll be listening to the track over the PA and I'll be keeping him in time and just giving him that kind of encouragement. That's how we aged him through. And you were there. I was and there. And you did that. Conducting away. My word. Yeah. Isn't he fantastic? Phil Coulter's with me today. His biography is called Bruise Never Broken. Don't go anywhere. We're going to talk more in a couple of moments. Phil Coulter's with us on Late Lunch this afternoon and we're talking about his biography, Bruised Never Broken. I have to ask you, how is the young fella, the footballer, Ryan? Ryan, who played indeed for Drahada and a bunch of other clubs here. Well, at the launch last Thursday night... um, I was in before before people arrived just to do a sound check because I was going to play the few tunes. And the previous day I'd had a call from Ryan. He's now in Madison, Wisconsin. He's goalkeeping coach and keeper for uh, for the Madison team who've had a great um, first season. Um, so he's wishing me all the best. And I thought, thanks a lot. Shame you can't be there. So I'm halfway through my sound check and I look up and who's walking in the door with my wife but Ryan. She had flown him in as a surprise. <gasps> So it was, oh, I'm, I'm seldom lost for words, but I mean, it's just, I, it, it was one of those jaw-dropping moments. I, I found it just, I was so touched and so moved and delighted that he was there for, for, you know, what is an important day for me. And you make a link in the book, uh, let me tell listeners, again, staying with the soccer, because I don't want to remind you of this, but 1995 at Lone, the last game of the season, oh Derry God. needed to win and they did everything but bust the net. It finished in a draw match. That's right. And the title was snatched from Derry's grasp yeah. on that day. Thankfully, they went on to pick it up yeah. in, in latter times. Yeah. But that was at Lone. And then years later, um, Ryan is playing in goal for at Lone in the Brandywell. You remember this, do you? Do you remember this? Do I do? Oh, God, yeah. How how do you feel? Because, you see, the the wheels were turned. At Lone needed a result. They were fighting relegation. And there's your son, a dairy man, in in, in the dairy connection in goal. Oh, I remember it so well. I mean, talk about torn loyalties. But I remember saying to myself, oh, Ryan's son... If you're ever going to have a nightmare of a game, please let it not be in the Brandywell, especially with me in the stands, you know. Um, and and thankfully, thank you, God, um, he, he had an inspired game. Man of the match pulled off some some world class saves, which which prompted a brilliant headline in the sports page of the Derry Journal. You know, they call Athlone Town the town, right? So the, 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 there's a big picture of Ryan pulling off one of his miraculous saves, and and the banner headline went Ryan Coulter. For the town, he played so well. <laughs> it was brilliant. Uh, you have to hand it, don't oh, you? The I was headline just, I was just grabbed inspired, it. So yeah. did. You know, you're here with me today and you're, you're looking back in your life and here we are in 2019 and all that's going on. And I promised you out front before we came in, we wouldn't mention it. But I have to ask you this. Your friendship with John and Pat Hume and... Yeah. You've seen what's happened in this country, north and south, mm. since the peace agreement yeah. and that... Are you are you concerned? Very, very concerned. Who wouldn't be concerned? Because it's the great unknown. You know, you don't know who to believe. You don't. I don't think anybody can say with certainty what's going to happen. I don't even think that Boris Johnson knows what's going to happen. And you don't know what the agenda is uh, at all. One thing is for sure: he doesn't give a bugger about about the north of Ireland. You know, he knows nothing about it. None of those toffs in the Tory party really do. Um, so, you know, we could be we could be just cut adrift and, and the prospect of a crash out and all that that would entail in terms of the collateral damage to my part of the world, um, I find that scary, to be honest, Jerry. It's, it's uncertain times in the world, Phil. Like, not sure. just with us here, yeah. but all over the blooming place, yeah. you know. Um, 
you mentioned, I said to you, you were rolling in the cash when you were at the petrol pumps. Yeah. There's a great story <laughs> in the book. Of course, who hasn't had their issues with the tax man and uh, Her Majesty's tax? The, the Charlie Hawhey link there. Did you move to, to Buncrana to live round about that time? What came, was the story Well, with it that? came at a period when we'd had a great run of success with, with what they call the Tina Barber stuff. You know, we'd had a bunch of hits with the Bay City Rollers. We had, like, we had a stable of, of, of Tina Barber bands. We had the Bay City Rollers. We had uh, a band called Kenny and a band called Slick, all of whom had featured in the top five. So we'd sold a lot of records. Bay City Rollers particularly were coined in America. Number one single, number one album. Um, so... At a meeting with my accountant, here's the thing about about the music business, Jerry. If, if I had a number one record in America today, it's going to be like 18 months at least before I see a dollar. It takes that time for the wheels to grind it, the royalties to be to be collected and and distributed, etc. So he said to me, Phil, here's the story. We have a lot of money in the pipeline coming here. Um, the way the taxation is with the Labour government at that stage, you could end up paying uh, 83p in the pound in tax. Um, and then, if there's, uh, when you reach a certain ceiling, um, there's another like um, uh, five percent. I could have looked at a situation where I'd be keeping like thirteen p in every pound, and I thought, oh my god, it's been hard enough getting to this stage. I don't feel like giving all this away. So I said, do I have to? What's what's the option? I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to join that club. He said, well, I said, what about these tax schemes and the Cayman Islands and that kind of stuff? Not that I was relishing, but then I was clutching at straws. He said, sure, you can get the Cayman Islands, but let me tell you my experience. He said, uh, one of my clients opted to go to the Cayman Islands, uh, use it as a tax haven, but you have to give power of attorney to a lawyer stroke accountant in the Cayman Islands, which this fella did. Um... And the, the lawyer stroke account that came in Ireland signed this, that and the other and robbed your man of every dollar that he had. So he said, there's the danger when it's out of your control, you get involved in all of that. So at that stage was when the Charlie Hockey inspired bit of legislation opening up Ireland to um, creative people where the income from your creative work. Now, that means in my case, my, my writing, not my performing not my record production, none of that, but creative work, in other words, just from your writing, that was to be tax-free. So that was too good of an opportunity not to avail of. Absolutely. You're touring. Tell us quickly, because we want to play out with one of your, of your right. greats. We're on the road. We have a tour um, called Return to Tranquility. We're all over the place between now and and, and, uh, and Christmas. New album called Return to Tranquility. So we're busy, busy between the book and the tour and the album. Plenty on. Delighted to... Have you join us on Late Lunch today again? It's been Wouldn't a real pleasure. Wouldn't have missed it. And we're going to play out with... Well, this is a tune that closes every show. It's a, it's a, perfect, it's a perfect little anthem for the end of, a, end of a show, end of an interview. This is Steal Away. Thank you, Phil Coulter. Steal away. Let's steal away. No reason left to stay. For me and you, let's start anew, darling, steal away, let's steal away and chase our dream and hope they never find us, the dream days, the empty nights, we leave them all behind.
behind us And steal away Let's steal away No reason left to stay For me and you Let's start anew And darling, steal away We leave with just our memories And we'll make a new beginning We have to choose to win or lose And it's time we started win Steal away Let's steal away No reason left to stay For me and you Let's start Steal away Steal away Let's steal away No reason left to stay For me and you Let's start anew And darling, steal away Friends at Matthews.ie have been in touch with some important information for you, their customers. Commuters travelling on Matthews.ie will only be able to purchase their popular 10-journey tickets by using a Leap card from the 1st of November. You see, the aim is to speed up boarding times for customers, so while single and return journeys will continue to be printed as paper tickets, all 10-journey tickets will now be issued exclusively on the Leap card. You can find out more information on the website, matthews.ie. And to celebrate the change to the new system, matthews.ie have given us two Leap cards today each preloaded with a 10-trip ticket woohoo, to give 
away on late lunch. So how do you pick up one of these cards? You'll be travelling for free for weeks if you want, if you spread them out. Anyway, here's the question today. What time in the morning does the first Matthews coach depart the Marshes Shopping Centre in Dundalk? So just think about that. What time does the first Matthews coach leave the Marshes in Dundalk in the morning during the week? Is it, I'll give you a clue, is it 5am, 5.30am or 6am? I'm still snoring at that stage, I can tell you. 5, 5.30 or 6am, which is it? Answers please to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text and we'll pick a couple of winners before the end of the show. Now, my next guest has had a tough time lately. Grania Herty lost her mum and almost said goodbye to her son, Odrin. She's here to tell the tale of this and a personal challenge she's undertaken with great success. Grania, you're so welcome to Late Lunch. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I am good. Thank you very much for joining me. Let's begin at the beginning. Yourself and himself, your husband... Alan are in London, yes? Yes. When is this? When were you in London? What were you there for? Uh, We travelled to London for a friend's wedding uh, on the 25th of June um, and uh, settled in for the night, got up the next morning, the usual regalia, got ready to go to the wedding, had a fabulous day, sat, had our meal, um, everything's going fantastic and just as the first dance um happened my phone rang um and the dreaded call i suppose that any parent would want and it was my mother to say that my son was in the belfast matter hospital on the crumlin road um in resus and that i had to contact the hospital immediately because obviously i was his next of kin so, uh, of course, trying to find numbers and the whole lot in the middle of, obviously, a wonderful celebration. Um, eventually got through and got speaking to an ICU doctor who was in resource at the time to say that um, Odrin had been at a concert in Belfast um, Originally, the story was that he was found, but it seems that he actually got himself to a paramedic and said, I don't feel well. There's something wrong with me. He's actually a type 1 diabetic. He said, I am a type 1 diabetic and I took insulin about 15 minutes ago. And within three minutes, he started seizing. Um, The system in Belfast is completely different to... The Republic because they have a medical team. So there was an ICU doctor, um, an A&E doctor, nurses and then actually rescue, um, you know, like a Coast Guard. Yes. So they managed to get him out of the crowd. Um, His temperature was 45 degrees. He was convulsing and seizing. Um, They placed him, packed him in ice couldn't get his temperature down. He actually remained at 45 degrees for something up to 39 hours, which is where all the damage would be done. And they told me to get home immediately. Um, They didn't think he was going to make it. So then, of course, we had to try and get on phones, the people around us, to book flights. Unfortunately, no flights leave at night time from London. And our next available flight was 7.30 the next morning. How did you cope with 
not being able because all you want to do is rush back isn't of it of course of course Who, like what's your first instinct I can fix it I'm his mum you know and of course for Alan his dad um, we left the venue straight away went to the hotel packed our bags rang family um, told them the situation and got to the airport because of course Grony being Grony I thought I'll find a plane somebody will take me home mm. Um, but unfortunately that didn't happen and we spent the full night well me in hysterics Alan walking the floors of the airport and they would ring me every hour to update me and every hour it was he's not going to see the next hour you're not going to make it home my 73 year old mother had made it to Belfast she thought she could be by his side but unfortunately, he was that ill, critically ill. She didn't get access either. Um, so she knew as much as I did. Um, Next morning, obviously, you get the first flight, do you? We got the first flight. To Belfast. Flight, to Belfast. Tell me this. When you're in the plane, you're in flight mode. You have no access to the phone. Did you think when you landed that you were going to get the worst news? Well, just before I got on the flight, I was convinced that they were lying to me to get me home. I was convinced that Audrin had already passed and that they didn't want to tell me the truth. Now, my poor mum, she said, I promise I wouldn't do that to you. He's still fighting. He's fighting. I was like, OK, so got on the plane. The staff were just amazing. They put us in the front row. I cried the whole way across. 50 minutes felt like 50 hours. Um, and then we landed and there was no stairs. <laughs> you couldn't get off the plane. There's actually no stairs. I'm standing at the door going, open the door. They were like, there's no stairs. I'm going to like, jump. Open the door. I need to get off the plane. And you're looking at this little hole to see is anybody coming with stairs. So that felt like another 50 hours. And um, we eventually made it to the hospital. Um, staff met us to say how bad it was, how bad he looked tried to prepare us for all the machines. He had gone into multi-organ failure, so there was nothing. No bowels, no kidneys, no liver, no lungs, no heart, no brain, nothing active. And he literally was being kept alive by machines. And um, it's just anybody's worst nightmare. At that point, we didn't know what had happened. Um, It probably took about four hours later before we discovered that at the concert, he either took or was given, um, as they say, MDMA, but in our terms, ecstasy. Mm. And um, I think it took about 72 hours for us to find out that the toxicology, there was 78% rat poison, so he didn't stand a hope, not a hope in hell. And um, so there's where our fight started. So really, he had consumed almost pure rat poison. Yeah. In the form of that pill that he took. Yeah. Did they give you any hope at all? You know, when they got talking to you and you looked at him, I'm sure, on the machines and everything, you'd think, oh, my word. Did they give you even a tiny bit? Not really in the first 24 hours. In the first 24 hours, it was... Very much in their terms, Odie's fight, that Odie would decide. You know, it's not like EastEnders or Coronation Street, as you see it, at all. 
Um, they said that he would make the decision if he could would keep fighting or not. And thank God he did. He did. Yeah. No. He was that serious. They were talking about transferring him to a specialist unit in London from yes. Belfast. But that didn't happen. No. So um, their main priority was they felt if they could get the liver to react at all, that maybe the other organs would start to function. And as we know, the liver is probably the only organ that can rejuvenate itself. So we were in an ICU in Crumlin on the Crum or on the Crumlin Road, the matter, and it wasn't their field at all. So they were actually conferring with Kings um, for the first forty-eight hours, and you know they'd tell them what products to use and what to do to put into the bloods and try and clear the toxins. And um, so they agreed to take him. Now that conversation, I think, was one of the hardest because. They would charter a flight for him, but Alan and I wouldn't be allowed to travel with him. He would have to travel with a specialised team. So that's what we were prepared for. And unfortunately, Odie took a very bad turn and just a flight wasn't going to be possible. He would never have survived the flight. So how did he end up in Dublin, in Vincent? Because they are actually a centre of excellence for the liver as well. And they started conferring with them and they agreed to take him, even though he was a minor. That was another question mark because he was only 16. Um, and thankfully, they stood up to the plate and said, yes, we'll, we'll take him on. And we travelled by ambulance. I don't know if you're aware there was a vigil organised in the town centre. Yes, in Dundalk. In Dundalk on the Monday. And so the whole day they were talking about, you know, we're hoping to get transfers. But of course, you're dealing with NHS and then um, the HSE. So cross paths crossing. We heard about this vigil and a friend of mine, her daughter actually recorded. No, she did FaceTime. So we got to watch it from Odie's hospital bed. And. Uh, Father McNamara from the Holy Family, he started off by saying we're praying for a miracle. And the vigil, I mean, the support was phenomenal. And uh, the minute the vigil ended, some people clapped. And next thing the team walked in, they said, we're going. We have an ambulance. So I felt at that moment I'd received my miracle. You honestly believe that the power of that, that had transferred to the, the, the next sequence of events where he was moving down to Dublin to the specialist unit in Vincent's. Grania Odrin has moved to Vincent's and what follows is 41 long days and nights as you and Alan are at his bedside. Mm-hmm. Now... For 33 days, you say he had 1% chance. This is what they're all this, telling you. Our prognosis was, was 1%, 1% chance. for 33 days. Yeah. What happened on day 34? So, um, Alan actually took ill and he ended up being admitted into another ward, St. Lawrence's ward with pancreatitis. And Odie opened his eyes. Of course, poor Alan wasn't there to see it. And... Uh, he kept asking for his dad. Well, his voice wasn't coming, but you could see he was trying to say dad, dad. And I was like, he's dehydrated Odrin. Um, he's in another ward, but he won't be long. 
and he muffled something. Now, I'm not sure, but I know by the eyes rolling, he was obviously annoyed. And he said a couple of funny words. Well, That's all we'll have, say. We, better yeah. not repeat well, them. we can't repeat them here today. But no. about his dad. But did you know when he said that that he's well at that moment? I was like, Odie's back. <laughs> he's definitely in there. He's in there somewhere. <laughs> you just saw him there. I saw every glimmer and glimpse of his personality in that one sentence, which we obviously can't repeat because it would be censored. But it brought that much joy <laughs> to me and to Alan. Yes. Um, we didn't care at that point. But, but, but besides this, listen, Odie's there in front of you and suddenly there's more than 1%. Uh, Alan's in himself. You're on crutches. I'm on crutches. What happened to you? I have uh, plantar fasciitis, so it's something wrong with my heel. And so you were struggling to get around. Yes. And your lovely mother, <laughs> Josephine, you mentioned her early on there, who rushed to Belfast was at the same time in Resus in the Lourdes in Drogheda yes with my sister my poor sister had to take over with my mother because I couldn't leave Odie's side so that was probably the start of us knowing that Josephine wasn't well Ah, and because she was known so well you know that on LMFM radio and a great (laughs) fan of the station she won most competitions she won a few competitions (laughs) in her time but she passed away yes we lost Josephine on the 18th of August. So the Friday before, um, they had come to us to say that we could take Odie home. And my sister kindly offered to go to Dublin to collect him so I could stay at home and clean. And as normal, Josephine, being my superhero, came that morning to help me clean the house to get it ready. You know, we were all that excited. She came with the balloons and a mug saying Odietude. And we cleaned and a dreaded call came from my sister to say that Odie wasn't well. They weren't going to discharge him and that they had to do a lumbar puncture and um, electrode test to see what the problem was. So as normal, Josephine stepped in. She stayed behind and myself and Alan flew to Dublin to see what the problem was. And it seems like he has developed some sort of autoimmune disease. They've never seen a link to MDMA before, but unfortunately in our case it has happened. Um, They decided to put him on an infusion for five days to see if they could stop the body attacking itself. And on the Saturday night, I came home met Josephine. She was after taking the other two children to the Roma for their tea. We had some very kind words. We said goodbye and that was the last I ever saw you her. You saw her. So she wasn't there when he came home? No. Ah. Uh-huh. He came home for her wake. Isn't that just so sad? It is, but, you know, I was on bended knee praying for a miracle for months. I received my miracle. I was so grateful. And then, unfortunately, I was so hurt because he took, I suppose, the family backbone away. Your man. Yeah, but myself and my sister firmly believed maybe she made a deal with the man herself and decided that she had lived her life. And it was Odie's turn to get a second chance. And that's what we believe. And You have tremendous belief and faith, don't you? Definitely after this summer, yes. Mm. 
he got home and he's been making progress ever since. He's on the point, is he around now to go back to school in the next few weeks? Or at the point, he's should I say? determined to go back to school. Um, probably not something I'm ready for, but, you know, I have to let him do this. So he's going back the Monday after the midterm. Now, obviously, on a, a lower scale than his peers, he's going to go in after a little break and possibly try and do two classes a day yeah. to build it up. Of we course. still have rehabilitation to do. Um, we're waiting to get a space in Dunleary because obviously he has some side effects with the loss of the use of his left arm and a couple of more small issues. But but apart from that, his mind is fine, the rest of his body's okay, and he is a miracle man. Absolute miracle. I'm sure you're aware, Jerry. There are plenty of families after us this summer oh. that don't have the story we have. Um, I was just thinking about this today. Miss Up and Louise were talking about it, saying that, my God, this is incredible because so many families have buried their children. Oh, well, uh, you said uh, earlier, after 41 days, we walked out of ICU. He insisted on walking. And of course, Alan and I didn't leave his bedside. We didn't leave the hospital. So we probably formed lovely friendships with the staff and as they come on and off breaks or whatever but they all came out from their posts you know clapped him as he left and the charge hand Dennis who we got very close to he held my hand and he said Gronje he's definitely a miracle he said because he's the only one to walk out of St Vincent's he said we've lost everybody else isn't that something else? Back to the concert, the music event. He was at Belsonic in uh, Belfast. Yes. And that tablet that yes. was given to him or he got, however he got or whatever, yes. um, predominantly rat poison. Yes. Have you been able to find out any more about that? Who was behind that or responsible or anything? Well, um, obviously, because it was in Belfast, it was the PSNI who were involved um, originally. um they really, I have to say, they investigated as much as they possibly could. They maintain that these tablets are being sold at these concerts for as little as £2. Um, £2, I mean, that's some price to pay for the summer we had, but anyway. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, because Odie has survived, there is no more investigation. You know, there is nothing to investigate. It's not a case? No. There is no case. Isn't that shocking? And to hear that they're so available, I have to Readily ask... Readily available. Yes, I have to ask you this. Did you ask him what yes, he was at? I did. Um, not for a while. Um, unfortunately, which they had kind of prepared us for, because he had cerebral oedema, Odin has very little memory. Um, is that a good thing? I don't know. Is it fear? Maybe. You know, is he ever going to turn around and say, yes, I took it after what happened? Does he want to face a consequence? The only thing I would like to come out of the whole situation is awareness. Like I was at a drug meeting. We have a new drug squad in Dundalk. And I was actually after going to one three weeks previous in a local primary school. Um, a briefcase was handed out and we saw what is, as I said, readily available to our children on the streets. 
something I had absolutely no knowledge of. And I just think that we're going to the wrong people. I think the wrong information has been given. Maybe not the wrong, but there's more information could be given. I mean, we took a, well, I took a photograph and video diary. I wrote a diary every day that we were there. Now, maybe not at the moment because it's so raw, but like those photographs and videos need to be shown what two pounds can do to somebody, you know, and to a family and, you know, extended family mm. and friends. I mean, all our lives changed Completely. on the 26th of June. And you're going to do this. I know you have plans for this beyond this. But look, we're going, to, we're going to finish up shortly before I do. I want to finish on a very positive note. But yes. Not that, how can we be more positive than the miracle man himself? Yes, I know. But you, let's talk about you for a couple of minutes. Because yesterday on Late Lunch, I met the wonderful Rachel Graham. <laughs> One of my you, new best friends. Who you know. Yes. And she was in touch with me this morning to say, make sure you mention before she finishes with you today... Operation Transformation and what she's achieved herself. So uh, obviously it's radio, so people mightn't realise, but I am heavily overweight. Um, I have never exercised in my life, um, follow a very bad diet. And a friend of mine, there was a competition running in Dundalk in a local salon, uh, Mizzou, and uh, it was an Operation Transformation. Uh, the prize to the value of €5,000. And a very good friend of mine decided to nominate me, told my story, and uh, what do you do? I won. Yeah. <laughs> I am now on day two of week three. Um, I go to Oak Gym every morning at nine o'clock for five mornings a week. I meet Rachel Graham, the nutritionist, once a week. She's going to set me um, a whole new lifestyle, healthy choices. And I'm being pampered and spoiled rotten in the beauty salon and the hairdressers. And so don't what a prize. you deserve it with the yes. time you've had this year. And by the way, she won't tell you this, but she's down seven kgs already, aren't you? And 10 inches. There you go. <laughs> very <laughs> important. Inches. The measurements yes. are very important as well. Isn't it a wonderful, wonderful story? Well deserved and congratulations on your win. Thank you so and much. And keep it up. Keep moving along. You'll enjoy it. It's another great journey and an experience for you in your life. We wish Audrin all the very best and your husband, Alan, and the rest of the family. It's a great, great story. And thank God all's well that ends well. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today, Grania. Thanks a million, Jerry. How would you like to win a car for Christmas? Scotch Hall Shopping Centre, Drogheda in association with LMFM and Reynolds Fiat, are giving away a stunning Fiat 500. It's valued at €18,000. You see, every time you spend €50 across any of Scotch Hall's 50-plus shops, you'll have an opportunity to enter the car draw. Just pop your entry form into the draw drum located in Scotch Hall and stay tuned to LMFM to see if you're one of the lucky finalists. Every week from now until Christmas, LMFM will announce a weekly winner and this week's winner is Gavin Kinsella from Denor Road in Drogheda. Well done to you, Gavin. Congratulations. You've won a €100 Euro Scotch Hall gift card and you're in the grand finale card draw, which takes place on Sunday, December the 22nd. Now, my next guest on the show today, well, i tell you a little story. I love the weekend newspapers and I read loads of them and I'm always watching out for this, that and the other. And a story in the Sunday Independent Supplement about a guy called Dermot Higgins caught my attention and when I saw the local 
connections, said I must get on to him. But I never realised that I interviewed this man back in 2018, early in the year. And he's back with me on the show today, Dermot Higgins. It's great to see you again. Great to be back, Jerry. You better tell them why I didn't recognise you. <laughs> well, at that time, I had a rather unusual beard. Do you remember the colour of my beard? It was multicoloured. <laughs> it was a rainbow yes. coloured beard, yeah. It yeah. was. A beard celebrating diversity, yeah. That's correct. So yeah. you've shorn of that Yeah, since. my children wouldn't allow me to hold on to it. <laughs> They disown me. <laughs> and I re- remember you so well because you were a fascinating man uh-huh. and with a wonderful story because, tell them, you... you I, I cycle around the world. In, in actual fact, in 2017, 18, I became the oldest person to cycle around the world. 32,000 kilometres. Right, yeah, on a bike. On a bike. <laughs> Are you over the saddle sores? Ah, the saddle sores. You know, <laughs> that's a kind of an urban myth or a rural myth or a worldwide myth. You know, you get used to the saddle sores. It's the damage to the head that does the da- That's the real thing. Anyway, I do remember you well from that day and the stories you told us. Now, you have another story now because this is why you've been featured in the national press yeah. recently. And it's to do with not wearing much attire or much clothes. <laughs> you could do with that beard with what we're going to talk about yeah, for the next while. Yeah, this is my latest thing. You know, I, 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 well, it, it kind of happened accidentally, really, this event. Um, I'm not cycling these days. Um, I'm, I'm swimming, long-distance swimming. I'm doing a lot of swimming uh, in the sea. Uh, I was living in Skerries for last year and for most of the summer, and I took to sea swimming. And I've always been a bit of a naturist. You know, I actually prefer to swim, you know, without the clothes on if I get a chance um, and then this notion of wait, wait, I'd heard about this event that the ladies have event in uh, Wicklow called the dip in the nip I'm going to stop you there right. never mind Wicklow yes. we have dip in the nip right here <laughs> and on this radio show every year for the yeah. last six years I've been the only gentleman invited to a secret beach All right. to be there was hundreds of women yeah. racing to the sea, uh, Dermot, to yeah. raise funds for oncology, yes, cancer right. research, and yeah. the cancer unit at Our Lady of Lourdes there Hospital. So I know what you're you talking about. You know what about. the dip in the nip is? I do. Well, ours is the dicky dip. That's our event, yeah. <laughs> hundreds of men, in this this case, yeah, will be taking the plunge. And it's a, it's a black tie event, black tie only. That's it. The only thing you're wearing <laughs> is a black oh, tie. Oh, so the dicky is about the, the, well, the black the tie. Dickie, you can you can read what you want to <laughs> A level of innuendo there. If you want to, if you want to, to think that way, Jerry, yeah, that's fine with me. I'm not going to argue with you. So everyone will wear a dicky bow. Everyone will wear a dicky bow. But it. nothing else. No. Nothing else. And you're going to race into the sea. We're going to race into the sea. We we, we uh, hope to have 500. We've been capped at 300. We have 300 people. We're already halfway there. Um, we're going to close it at, uh, when we have uh, 300 people. A secret location near to Skerries. It will all be revealed very soon where the location is to those who are taking part. And it's going to be a great day out. And that's happening on the 9th of November. And who will be the recipients of the fundraising? This is the Matter Foundation for Cancer Research. That's really important. It's research into prostate cancer and to provide some new non-invasive and innovative treatment for cancer patients. So this is the very serious aspect of this, oh, yeah. doing real good and raising much needed mm-hmm. funds. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Come back to you and enjoying uh, skinny dipping, if you like to mm. call it. You say this goes back 
1979 when you were in Greece. Well, you know, I've, I, look, I've always admired the idea of people skinny dipping and, and the idea of nature. But I guess back in the 70s, as a kid growing up in Skerries, it wasn't the thing to do, really. No. <laughs> and it was on my very first holiday, my first holiday abroad. Um, I remember going to Greece. And I remember waking up uh, just one morning, sleeping on a hammock on a beach and waking up in the morning and, and, and looking out and seeing all these naked people, girls and guys. And I'd never seen anything like that before and was shocked. And of course, I was sleeping naked in my hammock as it happened. It didn't take, I didn't have too far of a journey to go in and join them. And it was very, very liberating and very self-empowering. And ever since then, whenever I get the opportunity to do so, um, I, I, I'll yeah, swim naked if I can do so. Now, when I mention Frosties, people will think about a breakfast cereal, but that <laughs> that word means something different to yeah, you the, and your the, friends. Well, there's a group of guys in Scaries called the Frosties. Now, I'm a member of the Frosties. I don't swim with the Frosties every day because I'm, I'm 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 out in in, in Dunchalkland at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, but there's a group of guys in Scaries called the Frosties, and they get into the sea every single day of the year winter summer in around 11 or 12 the frosties are in the water and um, I during the summer this year on a number of occasions I'd have swam with the frosties now, many of them will do long swims some of them just tend to dip they tend to get in and out what I got interested in this year was long distance swimming and um, you know swimming a couple of kilometres swimming around the islands and scaries and so forth so that's, that, that, that's what I got into and, and you know um, so when, when I swim I like to swim long distances. Um, so these Frosties, they're scary. It's a great bunch of gri- guys and girls. And uh, yeah, and uh, I'm hoping to get lots of support from the Frosties for this event, which is taking place in November. So it's both men and women and you now, swim... Just, just, just men and women in the Frosties. Yes, yeah. in the Frosties. Yes. Men and women. And you meet at the Captain's. Is that the marker in Scaries? Well, no, the, well, there's, two, there's two beautiful bathing places in Scaries on Red Island. One is called the Captain's. Yes. One is called the Springers, depending okay. on where the tide is. That's where those lads are. They're there. And it's every day. Every, every single day. day. Come what may, weather Come what may. Well, nah, hang on. People, people are, you know, we, we, can't, we can't ignore weather warnings and so forth. Mm. You know, we're very responsible. Yeah. <laughs> Health and safety is key. Oh, yeah. Very important. But that little. Absolutely. Caveat yeah, no, they, they, in won't, there, they won't it? get out on, 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 on when the weather's bad. Um, Come back to the swimming naked and, uh, you know, going round naked in daily life or in your home or that. Do you do that? Are you, are you well, into look, that? I, I'm, I'm what I call a natural naturist. I'm not a member of, of a naturist organisation. I don't go on naturist holidays like many naturists do. Um, you know, naturist holidays, you know, people, for example, will, will live naked the whole time. They'll do their shopping naked and, they, you know, they'll, well, they'll swim naked and, you know, which is, to me is a kind of a normal thing to do. Um, they'll ride their bicycles naked, that kind of thing. And I, I, I don't see that as kind of being logical, really. I, I like to, to be naked when it makes sense to be naked, as in when I'm swimming. T- to me, it's liberating. It just feels better. Sunbathing is another example of something you, you might do um, to, when you're naked. And when you're wandering around your own home, when you're not you know, afraid of frightening anyone, you know, that to me is... Would, would you wander around the house well, if, if, if it was allowed, I would. <laughs> if I got away with it. <laughs> but I don't want to offend people. That's very important because hey, I know nudity I does know, offend people. I know. Dermot, have you ever frightened anyone? You know that? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> Come on. I may well have. You must I've have an old story about startling well, it does, somebody. It does happen. But I, when, when, it does happen sometimes around a bit. Uh, uh, do you want to tell you? Well, i tell you a funny story. As, as when I was in New Zealand on the cycle trip. This is a funny story. And the, 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 the New Zealanders, the Kiwis are... are are, are very prudish and I remember going going for um, a dip 
uh, on a beach and there was no one on the beach and I um, went in, had had my swim and looked up and there I saw a body at um, standing at a bench beside me a bunch of clothes. And I waited for a while, waiting, thinking he would go and he didn't go. So I went up and I got closer and I knew he, I realised he was a copper. So I, I, I hid, hid, <laughs> hid my modesty and I was up to him. And, and he said, you know, it's criminal offence here, mate. You, know, you can't go skinny dip in here. You know, he started taking down his notes. You know, he's, he was I was going to get get fined or something for for a skinny dip because you're not allowed to do that in New Zealand. And um, so I t- thought quite. The, I said, "What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this?" And I said, "Well, officer, I, I have some very bad saddle sores. I, I I can show them to you if you like." <laughs> you're you're all right, mate. You're all right. You're, you're... <laughs> and off he went. <laughs> <laughs> That's why skinny Japan to, to relieve the saddle sores. You're a quick thinker on yeah, your you have feet. To be. You, you have certainly to be. are. Um, but look, r- r- round the house, do you sleep? Do you sleep? I do absolutely. Yeah, I've done it all my life. Yeah, I I, I don't like the feeling. I, I'm a kind of a strange, of a strange body. I like cold sheets. I love the feeling of the cold on the body. Yeah, I, I, I sleep naked. I've always done so. Summer. Or winter, because you know what yeah. times the house really chills yeah, at night time yeah. and bedrooms are cold I'm a hardy enough. man. I'm a hardy man. Yeah, a hardy man. <laughs> it doesn't bother you at no, all. Not at all. No, I like I like the feeling of cold. I you know and uh, you know I like the feeling of the heat on the body and the sunshine and I like the feeling of the uh, of the sheets and I like the feeling of the water on your on the body too. Yeah. So there was a magazine. Was it called H and E? I wasn't thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> there are many. Ma- there's many magazines. Oh, I don't know which I, ones I, you're I I'm going to tell you a little story myself. You know, in Ireland years ago, where yeah. so when we saw when Page Three came into Ireland, right. everyone thought, "Oh, holy God, I'll go blind!" You know, at that stage, and and then there were photography magazines, and you'd like to get them and have a look at the yeah. lovely girls in them. Yeah. But I think it was—I could be wrong. It's H and something—a magazine yeah. could be H and E, yeah. a naturist magazine. All and right, that went on sale yeah. in Ireland. But I'll tell you, it had put you off. Really? Well, you see, there's the thing. There's the thing because. The the, the, naturists, most naturists are not, they don't have perfect bodies. Most naturists are ordinary men and women, you know, with ordinary bodies, same as myself. Um, while if you look at the other types of magazines that, that maybe people were thinking of, it, people have perfect bodies, you know. So, Photoshopped. So the, probably, may well be, a couple of, a couple of extensions. Trimmed. <laughs> but the lovely thing about being a naturist, or the lovely thing about, you know, you don't have to worry about your body. You don't have to have the bikini lined up. You don't. You can just get in and strut your stuff and do your thing without worrying about what other people think. I'm with you there. I like the point that you made that you're a natural naturist because going shopping in the buff yeah. will you give me a break well I guess if you're with other naturists who are doing it you know you know, but they do I mean I, I remember going to uh, going to to Croatia the Croatians are big on this you know and, and you know you have lots of Croatian resorts where, where, where you know everyone is naked all the time so I remember going to a bar and everyone is sitting on the stools they're all naked people go around the shopping pushing their shopping trolleys they're all <laughs> yeah. well, I'd be worried where you'd get things jammed yeah I might do that you see there's, there's hygiene of the safety, I suppose, are, are issues. I guess they, they, they have to be taken. You, you probably weren't listening yesterday. I I, 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 I was involved in a felony the weekend. I oh didn't dear. pay for me shopping in oh Tesco. Dear. I walked out. I'd say I was in there without a stitch in me. I wouldn't have got out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I might have got in the door in the first place. Never mind out the door. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 
you have plans back to the swimming, don't you? You, you mentioned this long distance swimming yeah. and round the islands. I'm tired even thinking about it. Yeah. Are you planning to swim the channel? Well, I'm planning to swim both the English channel and the North Channel. That's the one between Scotland. and, In fact, there's a seven straits challenge. Uh, includes the, the Bering Strait, for example, and the Straits of Gibraltar. And there's a couple of other ones in there. And my long-term ambition is to get all seven in. Um, but I'm going to start this summer 2020 the following summer uh, summer ahead I'm going to start with both the um, the English Channel and the North uh, Channel and will you do this naked uh, I don't think you know that here's an interesting thing uh, I think that the the rules are very strict for these events you know for, you can't touch the boat your support you have to have a support boat and there's even a stipulation saying what you can wear and you have to wear uh, swimming togs of a certain dimension certain so I, I, I think you're actually precluded from doing it besides I know this will get a lot of publicity you know when I'm doing this event yes and, and you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want all that publicity Dermot uh, I'm just thinking yeah. you'd be better with I don't the- think the general public would want all that publicity either. You'd be, you'd be better with the tugs because being in cold water for so long, things oh, shrink we, we know that. and know they that. could you, disappear you altogether. That, yeah. or, or else, you know, yeah. a, a hungry fish <laughs> might appear and think yeah, it's something yeah. else that's it's wiggling funny, in funny, the water. It's funny, the, you know, we have a nice Facebook page set up and it's funny, they're, they're, they're the kind of comments that the lads are making, you know, some lads are kind of worried about, you know, how they look. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is saying, don't worry, we'll all be the same. It'll, the, 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 the swimming in cold water is a great uh, leveler. <laughs> is it true that, you know, you know you're know, you a man of the world, you've travelled extensively, you have lots of life experience, and I have to say, you're one of the nicest people I've ever met ever chatted on the show. Mm. You're not into television. No. Really. You not don't in, really not, I wouldn't TV be into what, what would be called pop culture as such. Like, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I lived for the past two years when I came back from the trip and I had, didn't have a television, never watched it at all, never seen, like, um, I don't know, reality TV or so. Never seen one at all. Uh, I, I watch the odd movie now and then, but I, I'm not... You know, no, no, uh, not really interested in that kind of celebrity ty- type thing at all. Mm. Um, you know, no, no, no. And um, TV would not be my thing. I know you love to read. Reading is a big thing. Which and is it true you're very regimental about your shut eye time that you uh, yeah, retire yeah, I, at I, ten o'clock well, each night? Yeah, fairly much. I I tend to go to bed early. I tend to fall asleep early. But I'm very I, I'm awake very early in the morning. You know, I'm I. I, I Actually, you know, I, I I tend to wake with the seasons. You know, when when it's bright in the morning, certainly as uh, in 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 summertime, I'd be awake wake with the birds with the dawn. Um, and I do so. No, I don't have to force myself. I still wake up relatively early in winter, and I try to get out for a swim. Or these days, I'm doing a bit of running because um, I need to make Again. sure you're attired in the morning if you're oh, up with the birds. Yeah, you know, the hungry robin. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, Ella's been on to say, has he ever been to Spielplatz in England? It's the resort for nudists. I wouldn't think so, Ella. No, not, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not that kind of. Yes, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. He's not. He's a natural naturist, as yeah. he had told us. Have you ever had to wear pajamas? Oh, <laughs> I hate pajamas. The whole notion that Me it just seems so regimented and so. I remember once. Here's an interesting. Thing. I remember once, oh, years ago, I had to go into operate into a hospital for a minor operation, 
And uh, I didn't know that there was any regulation in hospitals. I thought you could just do your own thing. Now, I wasn't frightening anyone around the place, but the nurse, I was, as far as she was concerned, I just had something on, you know, underneath. But she came to do her examination. She got an awful fright. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was one of these mates. This is going back now into the, the 70s. So uh, I was given a proper, uh, I wouldn't say to dressing down. <laughs> I was given a dressing up. I was ordered uh, to, to get a pair. So I'd get me mammy to come in and bring me in a pair of pyjamas. <laughs> And you you know what, you do anyone's heart good, I have to say. Anyway, just to mention again, the Dickie Dip, the 9th of November. November. And if people want to find out more Matter Foundation, just get into the Matter Foundation, Cancer Research, you'll get on, you get a Facebook page, lovely free orange t-shirt, great day out, we have lovely food, uh, we are the location where we're changing, Um, it's a beautiful location overlooking the Irish Sea, Uh, anyone who takes part is guaranteed to have a fantastic day out. Dermot Higgins, keep on rocking in the I'll free world. <laughs> See you again. Cheers, Take Jerry. care. Fantastic. Thanks. 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 You will have heard on LMFM's news about a raid that happened this morning, not far from where we sit here in Rathmullen in Drogheda. Joining me on the show now is Superintendent Andrew Waters from Drogheda. Andrew, good to see you again. Thanks for dropping in to us. Enjoy. Um, speedy action this morning all round. One raider arrested. That's correct, yes. Uh, this morning at about 9.50am, uh, two raiders entered the Centra uh, shop there on the Radmullen Road. They were very heavily disguised. Uh, the first gentleman was carrying uh, a firearm, now, which has to be still established whether it's a genuine firearm or not. Uh, the second gentleman was carrying uh, a hammer. And the two of them entered the shop. The gentleman with the hammer uh, jumped across the counter um, he got in excess of €900 Euro, uh, from the tills. And the the raider with the gun, he left the premises, but uh, the staff in the shop and a number of customers, they restricted the second raider's exit from the shop. And I'd just like to thank those people, uh, you know, who assisted uh the staff members in the shop who were dealing with such a, a terrifying incident. You know, terrifying incident, a firearm being produced, they didn't know whether it was genuine or not, and another raider with a hammer. Very frightening for all concerned. And I was actually listening to this live on the Garda radio, the response this morning, and I'm delighted to say that the response this morning from the from my own team and on Garda Chicano was excellent. We had uniform patrols and we had the armed support units in the area immediately. We had people on the beat, not too far from the shop itself. And that's all part of the ongoing Operation Stratus. The additional guardia we got to have them out on foot, you know, early in the morning, uh, at all times during the day, in key areas. Um, so one of the raiders was arrested. Uh, he's, uh, he's in his 20s. And uh, the 900 euro plus was recovered at the scene. So that the that raider is currently detained at Drogheda Garda Station under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. The second raider that got away uh, were appealing to anybody you know who may have been in the area or may have seen anything uh, in the immediate aftermath. He was described as about 6 foot, 6 foot 2, very thin build, wearing uh, sort of an army camouflage jacket with the hood up. He had a greyish coloured scarf over his face. We believe he may have left uh, in the direction of the swimming pool direction, down that way. So anybody who has any information, please uh, call us at Drogheda Garda Station and uh, we will, uh, as usual, we will treat any calls in confidence. 
Now, you were coming here to thank people today and you wanted to do this, but in the meantime, there's been another raid. Unfortunately, yes. We had a good news story in the end this morning. We had one raider captured uh, and good follow-up in relation to the second gentleman. But there's been another uh, robbery at uh, a shop in Radmullen Park itself where uh, a sole raider, one gentleman within, uh, we believe in his early 20s, again very heavily covered up, uh, wearing a black coloured jacket uh, in around six foot again. Um, He escaped with we believe, up to €160 uh, Euros in cash. Now, that's, there's an operation ongoing at the moment to see can we catch the, the radar. Could there, there be a link, Andrew, between the, the morning one? And what time did the second one happen at? It's only happened in the last it, half an hour or so. Just yeah. now? Yeah, Could yeah. there be a link? It's quite possible. Uh, and the description of the radar who got away this morning is not totally unlike the, the radar involved in this second uh, robbery today in the, in the Rodmullen area. Now, in a general sense, while you're here, the country knows about the feud that's been ongoing in Drogheda, and you mentioned there, armed support is here and present, more resources on the ground. Do you feel you're, you're well on top of it at this stage? Yeah, we, we looked for, very publicly looked for the additional resources to help us deal with the ongoing feud in Drogheda. And we have, for example, we have armed support unit with us 24-7. We have our own armed support unit from Dundalk, but we've also been given assistance from the armed support units from the eastern region, from Newbridge and Mullingar. So they're here 24-7 with us. We have increased our checkpoints. Uh, we changed the focus with the checkpoints, in, uh, changed the resources, maybe obviously varied locations as well. But uh, believe me, there will be no let-up, and there has been no let-up from a Gardaíshire Connors perspective in relation to this ongoing feud. You never know, though. You can never tell what's going to happen day to day. No, you know no, that more exactly, than anybody yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. So, so you're in preparedness for whatever may arise. But at the same time, you're trying to really close down this whole thing, close in on these people. Yeah, we well, I mean we're we're doing everything we can exactly to try and close in on these people. But you just cannot. You you you. you we have to plan for every eventuality, and we're under no illusions that uh, you know this feud is not over yet. Definitely not over yet. But as I said, uh, we have a comprehensive plan in place. And I, I, I've said this already on, on numerous interviews. Apart from the plan, we have a number of key players before the courts. And we have strict bail conditions on them. Uh, for example, curfews, signing on conditions. Uh, strict bail conditions that are just helping us to try and keep the lid on the, the people involved in this ongoing feud. What about the public's assistance. You made an appeal a moment ago there in relation to the two raids that have just happened in, in recent hours in the Ratmullen area. Do people help you? Are you getting enough help? Could you get more? Do you understand that when people know things, they're afraid? Yes, we, we fully understand that, Jerry, uh, And we, we accept that people are afraid, uh, you know, to be seen, to be coming forward, to talk with Angarda Sikona. But again, I would uh, encourage people if they have any information or if they see anything unusual happening in their own area or in the town of Drogheda, that they maybe would contact on Gardaí And as I said, I'm prepared to meet people. My chief superintendent has done it. We're prepared to meet people discreetly and confidentially. Uh, you know, but we have got great assistance from the public. On Gardaí cannot fight this battle on our own. We need the assistance of the public and other agencies who we're working with hand in hand. But uh, we fully accept the, the level of fear maybe that people fear or feel that they may be reluctant to come forward. 
issues such as, uh, you know, intimidation, drugs related, you know, they're issues that are, are, you know, have been happening in the town of Drogheda. Uh, They're ongoing. At the moment, there's, there's a relative calm in relation to the very obvious incidents that are that the public would have seen. But believe me, on Garda Shikana, we're under no illusions, as I said already quite clearly, that this feud is not over yet. There are many aspects to crime. And you, you, you talk about the frightening situation of armed raids today to get money, you know, into premises and that. You have public order offences. You have assaults and violence on the streets. You have to police the streets at weekend, especially the late night, the early hours. Big ask on your uh, people there. But you know when you talk at this time of the year with the dark evenings coming in and break-ins at homes. Morning, it can happen at any stage of the day, as you yeah. know. What advice have you for people, you know, to uh, make it more difficult for people who are intent on entering people's premises and stealing and breaking up places? Yeah, as I said, look, people have to uh, take, you know, care of their property, you know, locks and doors, lighting, extra lighting, the, the winter time, the evening, evening times itself. But again, I think it goes down to, uh, you know, communities working together. Um, and if they if they notice anything unusual in their community at all, uh, you know, the, the burglaries can happen at any stage. Uh, you know, we regularly see people going out of a house and they come back an hour later and unfortunately their house is broken into. Uh, but yes, we are coming into the winter periods as well. So we'd encourage people, again, just basic security for, uh, uh, you know, systems, uh, locks, alarms even on houses and to put them on, uh, you know, increased lighting, front door lighting, but just to be aware of people knocking on the door, people coming into, into their area and if they see anything suspicious or anything unusual to come forward and talk to us. And that little nugget of information, Andrew, at times can make all the difference to, to you people. Oh, exactly. Uh, it may seem insignificant to a member of the public, but somebody could give us some little bit of information about, they could describe uh, somebody or describe a car that's unusual in their area. And that car could be a vital piece of information for us in, in our overall fight against crime, the overall package uh, against crime in the Drogheda area. Do you feel as a frontline person and all the people who work with you and for you that you've been backed up? You mentioned the bail conditions being strict there when people are released on bail. Others are not released for obvious reasons as well. Do you believe the courts and the judiciary are backing you up fully? Yes, I I do to a certain extent. Obviously, the one big concern we would all have is that we would like to see some of our more significant court cases, uh, you know, coming to hearing stage uh, quicker. But unfortunately, there's, there's a huge backlog and a huge volume of cases within the court system. But I think from uh, on Garda Sheikhan the authorities' perspective, I have looked for support and so has my chief superintendent. And we have been afforded all support that we look for. Uh, but, I mean, we're, we're using every avenue open to us, overt, covert, uh, all avenues to uh, enable us to deal with, principally in Drogheda, with the ongoing feud. But the overall, as you said yourself, Jerry, uh, the burglaries, the public order, in particular at the weekends, you know, the 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 crimes that uh, affect people on a day to day basis. So yes, I'm I'm satisfied at this moment in time that I have the level of support that I have looked for uh, to police the town of Drogheda. And your new recruits, you know, when they came, people said, oh, my God, they're only fresh out of Temple Moor. What addition are these going to be to Andrew Waters and his people? How are they getting on? They're getting on very well. I have to say, uh, 
I watched them very closely uh, since they arrived. And I see these people on a daily basis, Jerry, and I see what they're doing. They have made a very positive impact to policing in Drogheda. Uh, I, I now have people on the beat in, you know, apart from West Street and the main streets in Drogheda, I have them in the, the housing estates around Drogheda. And that's what the people were looking for. They wanted to see a Garda presence. And I'm getting positive feedback from the public in Drogheda. They're seeing an increased level of Garda on the beat. And we're encouraging the Garda on the beat you know, to engage with the public, talk to the people. So definitely... Uh, the 25 Gardaí, it was probably unprecedented that you would get 25 Gardaí to a town the size of Drogheda. Um, it was a huge task for us as management, how to manage these 25 young people. But I have to say, uh, they have been very, very beneficial. And, I mean, they've learned their trade very, very quickly. As I said, I see them on a daily basis. And we do a thing, we do progression interviews with them. And believe me, uh, I'm satisfied that you know, they've made very steady progress and they've been a very, very positive impact for the town of Drogheda. It's really good to hear. And again, just before we finish, if you saw anything in the Ratmullen area earlier today or within the last hour or so, please do contact on Garda Siakana in Drogheda. You'd be a huge help to them. Wish you well with your continued work and uh, all the very best with the fantastic work you're doing in the community. Superintendent Andrew Waters, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Jerry. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. We'll see you midweek Wednesday, Late Lunch, half one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.